0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Have you ever like thought about the early church? And like we, we celebrated Easter two weekends ago. I, I don't know if you... I, I seem to be going through this this season at the moment of thinking what things must have been like back then. But can you imagine two weeks after the resurrection? Like they discovered, the first believers discovered that Jesus wasn't in the tomb two weeks ago. So what are they doing today? Like I reckon it was a day off, right? I know it was a work day, but in the evening, like we're gathering now. Like I reckon they were so keen just to get back together and just again say, can you believe what is going on right now? Like I went home between the preaching here in the morning, went home and I fell asleep because I was so exhausted. If I was there back then, two weeks after the resurrection, I would not have been able to sleep. Because everything that we thought was true, that for a couple of days was taken away from us, as we witnessed the resurrected Jesus coming and appearing, and maybe tonight, maybe as we gather tonight, he'll come back again, guys, maybe we'll see him again. Like, can you imagine that sense of anticipation, that sense of expectation? The world has completely changed. Everything is different. Everything that we thought was important and true and relevant is out the window because Jesus has risen again from the dead. And we know it because we've seen him. We're witnesses to this. The Spirit hasn't yet come, so we're still a little bit timid, we're still a little bit unsure, but man, we're excited. Man, if Jesus would bring in our time some of that excitement back into our hearts so that the pastor doesn't have to go home and fall asleep in the afternoon. That sense of anticipation, that sense of expectation that the world has changed, not because of COVID, but because a man claiming to be God actually was true in that claim. He rose again from the dead and we are witnesses of that. And he wants to do something in our time, in our time, to continue that change and transformation in the world. So, Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Stir our hearts again. Stir our hearts with that sense of expectation, that excitement, that anticipation. That everything you said about yourself, everything, every claim you made, every statement you made about yourself, if it wasn't validated by the miracles, it was absolutely rubber stamped with the resurrection. And as those who have gone before us were witnesses to your resurrection. Jesus, we as your followers today and for those in the room who are followers of Jesus, we know that you have risen from the dead. We know that you are alive. And as we look at your words to us tonight, Jesus, would you cement them deeply in our hearts as the truest of truths. That everything we do, everything that we are, everything that we have, would be for you and for your kingdom. So we bring ourselves as best we can to you tonight. For those in the room who aren't yet followers of you, I imagine they're here because of some interest, some questions about you. And so Jesus, by your resurrected presence, would you be with us tonight? And would you be speaking? And may we be listening in your name. Amen. Amen. These school holidays that have ended last week, I look around the room and I see people who, did you get a break from like uni and stuff like that? You've you got a long weekend, okay, you've got a long weekend, that was good enough. But how good was the weather? You, I came from Toowoomba, I lived in Toowoomba for 10 years and Easter fest, any Easter Fest junkies who wish it would come back? There's a few. For the last four or five it absolutely poured down rain. So I'm used to a very wet Easter weekend but the Easter weather was fantastic um, and particularly that second week of school holiday, so good that we decided not to go camping, but to do a bunch of day trips. And one of those day trips was to come here, not to city campus, but to the Brisbane CBD. We decided, as uh, people who lived in Toowoomba and my kids, uh, Matilda was uh, in preschool when we moved to Toowoomba, so she did most of her, most of her schooling in Toowoomba, and all of my boys, same deal. Uh, we decided that we'd take them on a trip on the city Cat, because when you live in Toowoomba, you don't go on many boat rides, The only time you could have gone on a boat ride was the tragedy of 2011. We had all the floods, but that isn't something to joke about, actually, so let's move on. We wanted to go on the City Cat and catch a boat into the city. Now, I need to explain again, just to reiterate, my kids don't really understand much about the city. The first time that Matilda came with her mum into the city as a young girl to go to a Taylor Swift concert, uh, Brooke, my wife, told me that she was on the train looking at all these tall buildings with her mouth wide open. Like going like this, my eight-year-old, when he first came to Brisbane, as we um, came over whatever hill we were coming over and we saw the city skyline, he says, mom, dad, are we in New York? So geography uh, wasn't a strong point uh, for us and for our kids. So we're in the city and we're going on a boat ride from Hawthorne uh, through to South Bank, okay, and it was a beautiful day, it was perfect, the sun was shining but not too hotly, you know, that, I love this time of year, Being from Melbourne and then in Toowoomba, I love the cooler weather, autumn, spring. So it was that sort of day when when the sun's on you, it's a good thing because it's not too oppressive. You don't need to get out of it. The breeze was nice and gentle and my kids were remarkably compliant and grateful, which was a momentary thing. It was very special. They were well behaved and well mannered. My wife was looking stunning as the gentle wind blew in her gorgeous blonde slash silver grey hair. She's not here tonight. She laughed at that when I said it at Redlands. She was wearing her favourite hat and my favourite hat, her Akubra. Again, we lived in two of 10 years. Akubra's come with the territory. You couldn't have asked for a more perfect school holiday trip. And as I sat there taking all of this in, not just my family and not just this boat ride, but everything else going on around me, as I sat there reflecting on all of this, I began to feel deeply, deeply unsatisfied yeah, that's right, unsatisfied. And it had absolutely nothing to do with my momentarily compliant and grateful children. And it had nothing to do at all with my beautiful wife sitting there holding my hand. But it had everything to do with my covetous heart that as we made our way down the big brown snake, I was gazing jealously upon the palatial mountain uh, mansions that littered the riverbank of the Brisbane River. I was sitting there thinking, how good would it be to not have to worry about go-carts and grumpy city cat crews? How good would it be just to stroll down my perfectly manicured backyard, not because I did that, but because I could afford to pay someone else to do it for me, to walk down between the trimmed hedges, to get to my jetty and walk out on the jetty and step aboard my river cruiser and go when I wanted to, not according to the schedule of the city cat, But when I wanted to, I could get in that cruiser and go wherever I wanted, to do whatever I wanted to do and do it whenever I wanted to do it. How good would that be? I've got to confess that it's not just trips down the Brisbane River that make me feel this way. I am addicted in a very sick way to my mobile phone and the real estate app. I often find myself scrolling through real estate, looking at houses just around the corner from mine, looking at these places that are maybe just a little bit better than mine, maybe a little bit bigger, or maybe have... Backyard access, (laughs) or maybe have a shed outside, maybe somewhere to put a boat, and I find myself scrolling through realestate.com, wondering what life must be like. If only I had something different. I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I'm sure that everyone in the room could say in some way and under certain conditions, we all wrestle with this idea that the grass must be greener over there. We wrestle with contentment. We wrestle with feeling and wondering that if I just had that, maybe I'd be content. After I shared my true story of winding my way down the Brisbane River in the city cat, a lady from Redlands campus texted me later that night. She said, I had this this thought in my mind uh, later that day after you shared that that I reckon there was someone, a woman, She's, she's a woman, so she's thinking of a woman, sitting in one of those palatial mansions looking at this family on the city cat. And she's, she's a woman who maybe her husband's away working all the time. Maybe she's got a, ba- a bad relationship with her kids. She lives in a palatial mansion. She's got, the, she's got the manicured garden. She's got the jetty. She's got the river cruiser. But she looks at my family on the city cat and goes, if only I had that, then I'd be content. We all wrestle with this, no matter what our lot in life. We all wrestle wondering, whether it's in our marriage. If I was married to someone different or if I was dating someone different, in my family if I had different parents or if I had my my kids were more regularly compliant and grateful, then I'd be content. In work, in study, maybe if I was doing a different course or maybe if I had a different career trajectory, then I would be content because I don't feel content now, I must be doing the wrong thing. So if I switched, then maybe I'd experience some sort of contentment with our possessions, If if only I just had that. Just that, just that, God, please. If I only had that, then I would be content. If I had just a little bit more, then my life would be more meaningful. If I had just a little bit more, then I could make more impact. If I had just a little more, I could love and serve and welcome more people. If I just had a little more money, I could be more generous. If I could just move to that greener grass, then life would be better. If I could just move from this pasture to that pasture, then I would be content. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. This is a familiar psalm, right? I reckon many of you, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard this psalm. Maybe you've got it memorized. Maybe you've got it on a fridge magnet on your fridge at home. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. What David is writing into here is his experience and his wrestle with contentment. That's what he's wrestling with as he writes this. And it speaks to something that he's discovered that is pretty remarkable. David's declaration here is that the, it's the Lord and the Lord alone who brings deep contentment. Listen, listen to the last three words of that first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. The three words are, are, I lack nothing. Your wrestle with contentment, my wrestle with contentment, comes from an awareness of what I lack. I don't have this in my life, but if I did, then I would be content. It's a wrestle with what we lack. But David has discovered when the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing nothing. I lack nothing. For David, it's the presence and the power of the Lord. I lack nothing. These pastures that he's talking about, it's the Lord who leads me. It's the Lord who makes me lie down in green pastures, still and quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Now, if you know anything about David, you might be thinking in your head right now, which is where I tend to do most of my thinking as well. Yeah, sure. David had a good life. David had wealth, David had servants, David had a palace, David had all the good stuff, of course he can write, he's content, because that's my struggle, Sam, if I had what David had, then I would be content, but you've got to keep reading to understand that David had discovered this contentment that transcends circumstance, that transcends circumstance. Yes, David had all this stuff, but he also, in leadership of a nation, had a whole lot of stressful things going on as well. Listen to the rest of the psalm that comes off the back of this beautiful picture of contentment. David goes on to write, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's two pictures here that David describes that are pretty bleak even though i walk through the darkest valley another translation even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death that's a pretty horrible circumstance that's a pretty place a uh, pretty awful place impossible place to feel content in the presence of my enemies when i'm surrounded by people who want to kill me that's a really hard place to be content i'm not sure anyone here has enemies you may or who you think of who are people but I'm sure that there's a, there's a whole lot of things in our lives right now that we're surrounded by, whether it be work or study or family or relationships, whatever. They're crouching around. They feel like they're about to pounce upon us and end us. For David, these were physical enemies. In the presence of my enemies, we sung it before, in the presence of my enemies, there's a table set for me. A table, not a, not a tank, not a, not a machine gun, but a table, a table for sitting down and eating. And David says that in this context, I am content to sit with my Lord who is my shepherd and eat a meal together. David knew a contentment that transcended circumstance because the Lord was his shepherd a series that we're in across all our campuses at the moment is looking at these I am statements of Jesus. This series has taken us into and through Easter and now we're coming up out the back end of that, still asking this question, what did Jesus mean when he said these I am statements? To know Jesus is to know him as he intends to be known. In fact, this is the only way that you can know someone. I think sometimes in Christian faith, what we do with Jesus is we say, I'm going to create a Jesus that I'm comfortable with, and then I'm going to love and worship that Jesus. I can't see him, I can't touch him, he's invisible, so I'm going to create my Jesus, and then I'm going to worship and serve and love my Jesus. But Jesus is a person. Jesus, you can't can't do that with Jesus. In fact, you can't do it with anyone. If I did that with my wife, we'd have a horrible marriage. I don't love her for who she is. I love her for who I want her to be. We can't can't do that with people, and we certainly can't do it with Jesus. Jesus wants to be known as he is. And let let me tell you, with Jesus, there is no faking. There is no pretending. There's no bait and switch. He doesn't woo you in with the good side and then smack you with his bad side. There's no mask wearing. He isn't out to impress you. There's no faking it until he makes it. No, Jesus is completely secure in who he is. You won't know anyone who's more secure in themselves than Jesus. And so he uses this title when talking about himself. I am. I am. And he knew full well that he was getting himself in trouble as he used these two words to describe himself. I am. Because this is the title that God, Yahweh, the God who was and is and is to come, gave to Moses when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God says to Moses, tell them I am sent you. You know, a better translation uh, of the the Hebrew here uh, doesn't translate well into English because rather than I am who I am, a better translation would be I be who I be. But that's grammatically really bad. But it's a better, better phrasing of what God says. I will be who I will be. There's a security there. There's a, there's, a, there's a certainty of the character of God, a trustworthy a steadfastness. This is who I am. This is our God. And we as people who worship him, our journey of faith is getting to know him better. This is who God is, and this is who Jesus is. And when he says, this has been a long intro to get to the state, the I am statement for the day, for the night, for the day. And I think you can guess it from what we just read in Psalm 23. When Jesus says, I am. The good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And make no mistake here, when the Pharisees who Jesus was talking to, the religious leaders of the day, when they heard Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, first of all, they were cranky that he'd already said, I am. But when he went to say, on the good shepherd, they would have thought straight away of the psalm we've just read. They would have known it by heart, they would have committed it to memory, and they would have known Jesus is claiming to be that shepherd. More than Psalm 23, they would have thought as well because they'd committed this to memory. Ezekiel 34, a prophecy about what God's going to do with his people because his people are being mistreated by those who should be leading well. uh, Ezekiel 34, this is what God says in in this prophetic book. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, "'I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. "'As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock "'when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep.'" I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land and I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my sheep And have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. Hear, hear, my sheep will be content. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong, I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Hear this this prophetic word, this word of prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus came. God is saying, I will do this. God is saying, I will do this. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the Pharisees are deeply offended because it's Jesus again saying, he is that shepherd, he is God, he is the one. Later in this, in this Ezekiel 34, uh, the, the prophecy goes on to say, I will appoint my servant David and he will be that shepherd. But you can't mistake this oneness that the God who makes this, this prophecy recorded in Ezekiel, there's a oneness between shepherd and God. So Jesus is getting himself into more trouble here by saying, I am that good shepherd. Let's look in John 10, where he says this. John 10, starting at verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. In another place, just before this, sorry, not another place, just before this, Jesus has said, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep and I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. To understand this statement, I'm the good shepherd, we need to understand a bit about sheep and shepherding. Anyone here had any shepherding experience? Anyone here ever farmed sheep before? There was a, there was a couple this morning who had, and I had a great conversation with them afterwards. I love that she came up and said, yes, everything you said about sheep is true. I'm like, that's a win. Thank you, Wikipedia. So understanding this relationship that Jesus, is, that Jesus wants us to picture when he says, I am the good shepherd, is to understand this relationship between sheep and shepherd. Not today in Australia, where we have thousands of sheep in big hillsides um, and, and fenced in, and, and the sheep are free to go. And the way that we shepherd them is we come out with dogs and whistles and quad bikes and all that sort of stuff and try to get the sheep... what what we want them to do, get the sheep to do what we want them to do by sort of herding them through gates and all that sort of stuff. That is not how shepherding worked back when Jesus said this stuff, when Ezekiel prophesied about this stuff and when David wrote that stuff in Psalm 23. Shepherding looked completely different. So let me talk to you a little bit about that. The first thing we need to do is understand that sheep haven't changed. Sheep are still the same today that they were back then. And there's three things about sheep that I want to tell you about today. So you can understand this relationship that sheep had with their shepherd, Jesus is trying to get us to understand. The first thing, well, let me tell you all three and then I'll back, backtrack. Sheep are docile, defenceless and dependent. It's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Because you know where this is going, right? Everybody say, bah. <laughs> docile, defenceless, dependent. First of all, sheep are docile. This doesn't necessarily mean they're stupid. In fact, sheep are quite intelligent. But docile means, for animals, docile means they're ready to accept control or instruction. Probably too ready. They're too ready to accept control or instruction. There was this tragic sheep-related event that happened in Turkey in 2015. 450 sheep lost their lives in one day. As uh, a, a bunch of shepherds watched on in horror one sheep decided it would be a good idea to walk off the edge of a cliff and plummet to its death and 449 sheep who were docile, who were looking to be led, who were looking for control and instruction decided to follow and 449 also plummeted to their death. In fact there were 1500 sheep in this flock and all of the other sheep went off the edge as well, thankfully only 450 lost their lives that day. This is how docile sheep are. They're ready to follow a leader. They're ready for instruction. This story actually talks about, sort of implicitly, how bad those shepherds were, by the way. <laughs> they were so bad that the sheep were looking to follow a, one of the dumb sheep who decided to go off the edge of the cliff. Sheep are docile, they're ready to accept control or instruction. Sheep are also defenseless. If you put a sheep out in the wild, they will not last for two reasons. One is they'll probably get eaten by a predator, whether it's a wolf, as Jesus talks about here, or the bears and the, and the lions that David wrestled with uh, to protect his own sheep, because he was a shepherd when he was younger. They're useless against predators. A sheep is not designed for warfare. A sheep is design, designed to eat grass and grow wool and produce meat. They're not equipped for war. You know, one, one thing you could do to a sheep, has anyone ever pushed a cow over when it's sleeping and seen what happens? Anyone want to confess that they've done that? And No one was willing to this morning either and I got myself in trouble because I said that's on my bucket list. Anyway what is also on my bucket list now after studying sheep for a little bit is to put a sheep on its back. It has something in common with turtles. If you put a sheep on its back it can't right itself, it can't get back up. So I want to do that and then laugh and then help it and be a good person. <laughs> so sheep, sheep are really defenseless they get on their backs they're they're stuffed like it's all over for the sheep the other thing they'll do is they need a shepherd to get them into good pastures because if they see like a green thing on the ground they'll just eat it and it could be poisonous and kill them but they'll just eat it and then another sheep will come along and say yeah that looks good too I'm going to come along and eat that as well and it will die as well or get really sick so sheep are defenseless and because they're docile and defenseless sheep are really dependent they're really dependent and dependent on their shepherd. And there's two things about their dependence that I want to point out. First of all, it's holistic dependence. There's not a part of the sheep's life that it compartmentalizes and said, says to the shepherd, I'm going to hold back my allegiance to you and my obedience to you in this part and you can have this part of me. So a sheep doesn't go, yeah, I'll follow you, the shepherd, on A, B, and C, but I'm going to ignore you on X, Y, and Z. Sheep doesn't think that way. Sheep is holistically dependent on the shepherd. The sheep will go wherever the shepherd says to go. The sheep will follow wherever the shepherd leads. It's a holistic dependence on the shepherd. But it's also, before you start judging the sheep, it's also joyful. There's a joyful dependence that the sheep have on the shepherd. When you get home, jump on YouTube And into the search feature, type in sheep hearing the call of the shepherd and you'll get a bunch of videos. One of the ones I watched, which was really cool, it's obviously tourists on a trip through like the Netherlands or something. And they all come up to this fence where there's a whole paddock full of sheep that are grazing in a beautiful green pasture. And each of the the tourists comes up and they're told the the way to call the sheep. And they all yell out in this, I'm not going to do it, Dutch voice, Dutch thing, I don't know what it is. They're yelling this thing out Sheep are completely ignoring them, completely ignoring them. A couple maybe raise their head a little bit, but on the whole, these 400 or so sheep that are in the paddock completely ignore these people. And three or four people attempt to do it. But then the shepherd comes up to the fence and says the exact same thing, the exact same thing. But when he gives the call, the sheep, you can tell. I don't know if sheep can smile, but you can tell. They're happy to hear the voice of the shepherd. All of their heads perk up. They all look down to where the sound is and they come skipping down the hill. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment. They come joyfully. They're happy to hear their shepherd. They're happy to follow the shepherd's call and do what the shepherd is saying. So even though they're docile and defenseless, well, because they're docile and defenseless, they are therefore dependent joyfully and holistically on the shepherd. So then the shepherd We've talked about the sheep, let's think about the shepherd. Shepherds were different back then to what they are now. Like shepherds, to be a shepherd was like a 24-7 deal. Shepherds spent a lot of time with their sheep. Are there any New Zealanders here? I'm still going to leave it alone. Shepherds spent a lot of time with their sheep. Shepherds spent all day, all night with their sheep. And so they got to know their sheep really well. They knew them at an individual level. So it wasn't just shepherd calls the sheep collectively, but the the shepherd had names for each individual sheep. The flocks were nowhere near as big as they are these days. And so a shepherd could call out individually the sheep's name. There was a great relationship that the shepherd had with their sheep and Jesus contrasts them with the hired hands. The hired hands weren't like this. The hired hands didn't have this relationship with the sheep. The hired hands were not the owners of the sheep, so any danger that was presented, the hired hands would hoof it. They, they, pun intended. Unintended, but intended. They would get out of there because they weren't willing to risk their lives to save the sheep. And even though that's true, even though the hired hands were obviously not committed to the sheep like the shepherd was, I reckon you would struggle to find, in fact, I reckon it would be impossible to find a shepherd at any time in human history. Anywhere on the earth, who would actually give their life to save their sheep? Like, sure, the shepherd was more committed than the hired hand, but I don't think sheep are that great that a shepherd, in their de- devoted love for their sheep, would actually die, would fight a wolf to the point of death for their sheep. I reckon a shepherd at some point would not go that far, would, would tap out and say, you can have them, it's just not worth it. And they would, might shed a tear for their sheep, but they would not lay down their life literally to protect. In, in fact, it would be a stupid, foolish thing to do. Because if, if the shepherd got taken out by the bear or the lion or the wolf, what then happens to the sheep? They get eaten. So we're all lost. It'd be a foolish thing to do. Be foolish for a shepherd to lay down his life. For his sheep. So as we think about this, as we think about the relationship between sheep and the shepherds, it was very common in these days, I reckon we start to understand the relationship that the good shepherd wants to have with us, his sheep. There's something implicit. It's not obvious when you read Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a declaration from David, the Lord is my shepherd. But implicit in this statement is also a confession. David is confessing something that's really hard for us to confess. I am a sheep. If the Lord is my shepherd, what does that make me? It makes me a sheep. I am docile. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are docile. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. This is this is what this is implicit here if if Jesus is my good shepherd if the Lord is my shepherd then therefore I am a sheep we have to confess we are docile defenseless and dependent we're docile we are easily led whether we realize it or not as i was cruising down the brisbane river looking at all these palatial mansions i was being led there was a voice inside my head influencing me seeking me to change the trajectory of my life yes it was this serious it was this intense Change the trajectory of life so that you can have this. I am easily led. There's things, there's things around me that want to suck me in to following the pathway to get to that. I'm more easily led than I would like to confess and so are you. So are you. Each of us is susceptible to the influence of things that are outside what's good for us. Just like the sheep who eats the poison weed, thinking that that'll be good for us, good for the sheep. We are like that too. It's interesting that Jesus makes this statement, this I am statement to Pharisees. And that's really clear from the beginning of chapter 10. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's not talking to the sheep, he's talking to the other shepherds. So he's having a crack at them. He's actually showing them that they've done a bad job of being shepherds. And this is clear from that prophecy I read from before in Ezekiel 34, where God gives a damning critique of the people that are meant to look after the sheep and he says things that make it really clear that the shepherds have taken advantage of the sheep for their own gain, he says things like you, you, the only reason you shepherd the sheep is so that you can wear their wool and you can eat their meat and you can use them, you can manipulate them for your own gain and let me, let me warn you, there are leaders in the church like this, there are leaders in the church who stand on platforms like this behind pulpits like this who are only interested in their own gain they're only interested in you because you make their life happen. You are their contentment. There are leaders like this. As we come to an AGM and we elect, re-elect four leaders, a senior pastor, an executive pastor, and two campus pastors, these are shepherds who are not like this. And I know that because these are my brothers. I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful I have sisters as well, but at this particular AGM, we're voting for four brothers. And I want to tell you that Jason Ellsmore is senior pastor of this church. Derek Peters is executive pastor of this church. Tim Lucas is the McKenzie campus pastor. Dave Morrow is the Logan campus pastor. These are shepherds who are not like this. Andrew Serkham, your campus pastor. Sorry, you confused me with the shirt. (laughs) Look at him, he's he's on the sound desk. (laughs) Leaders who want to manipulate you, don't go to the sound desk. They're too good for it. (laughs) But there's leaders like this, and it just shows that we are susceptible to the influence of bad leadership. If if we say the Lord is my shepherd, I am necessarily then a docile sheep. It's a confession. It's a confession. When Jesus says, here I have other sheep, not of this pen, he's talking about, unless anyone anyone here got a Jewish background? No, it means we're all who Jesus was talking about then people who are not of this pen, sheep who have not of this pen, this is us because if we're not Jewish we're Gentiles and that's who Jesus came for, so Jesus has come and he's, he's gone out of the sheep pen and he's found you and he's called out to you and you have responded and you've come into the sheep pen, that's pretty cool but there are still things in our life, in our lives and you know what they are that speak to us in our docility that even if that is a word Because we're docile that seek to lead us back out of the sheep pen. So to confess then, okay, the Lord is my shepherd. I am docile. I'm so easily led Jesus into things that aren't good for me. So I want to tune into your voice because I know that you are my good shepherd. We're also defenseless. We are not equipped well enough to live the life that our hearts and our souls crave. We, We won't survive if we go after it. As much as we think otherwise, particularly when you're young, I've got my life all mapped out and I'm going after my best life. You don't have it within your arsenal to live the life that your soul craves. The life your soul craves is the life that Jesus talks about when he says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. That is the life that every human being craves and we are powerless to live like that. We don't have what it takes to live like that. We, don't, we aren't equipped well enough to live that life that our soul craves. Even if I got my mansion on Brisbane River and got my jetty and my manicured lawn and trimmed hedges and my river cruiser, I still would not be getting the life that my soul craves. I still would, That contentment would still be elusive. And even if we could even start to think that maybe we're halfway to getting that life of contentment, one day, and this is where we really are defenceless, Death would come for us all. Not one human being can defend against death. We're all going to die. We don't have what it takes to defend ourselves against sin and against death. And so therefore, because we're docile and defenceless by our own confession, we therefore need to be dependent. Dependent dependent on our good shepherd, for our security and for our prosperity. You know, dependent sheep, they come where they're called, they do what they're told and they follow where they're led. And this isn't like a blind obedience. Remember, this is a holistic and a joyful obedience. It's holistic and it's joyful. It's holistic in that we do this all the time. We compartmentalize our faith. We say, Jesus, you can have this, but you can't have this. Whether we do that consciously or subconsciously, You can have this, but you can't have this. Sheep don't do that. Sheep holistically depend on the shepherd. With everything that they're aware of and conscious of, they depend on the shepherd. That's what our good shepherd invites us to as well. I know that when you're over here and you look at over there and there's a part of you that doesn't want to go over there, that thinks that that will be horrible, that thinks that that would be a backwards step, because my good shepherd is inviting me and calling me to go there, I will go because I'm holistically dependent on my shepherd when there's truth in Scripture that's revealed to me about how I should be lived, what I should be prioritising, the ways that I should be living, the ways that I should be loving and serving others. That's going to cost me, Jesus, yes, but that's where you need to go to experience this abundant life that I'm calling you to. It's holistic and then it's joyful because when we do this and we start to realise, oh my goodness, you were right. This is so much better here than it was over there. Thank you, Jesus. It's a joyfulness that starts to build in us as we grow in obedience. We become more joyful because we start to understand, yeah, Jesus, you were right. This is the abundant life. This is the abundant life. One thing sheep have that's better than us is excellent hearing. They've got great ears, they can direct their ears around and they can hear really well, better than you and I can hear. And they know the voice of their shepherd. They can tune into the frequency, unlike you and I can, so they can tell the difference between four tourists and then the real shepherd. They have really good hearing. So as children of God, as sheep of the good shepherd who are dependent on our shepherd, we need to be able to hear his voice and be ready to respond. So as I get close to the end, I promise, let me give you one encouragement and two challenges about hearing The voice of your shepherd. The first encouragement is this. I think sometimes we can wonder, and I do this all the time am I really hearing the voice of Jesus? How can I be sure? How can I know that Jesus has spoken to me? Let me tell you this as an encouragement. If you trust in Jesus with your life, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you trust Him. And you love him and you can say, yes, I am a sheep of the shepherd. We're not talking about how much you've given of yourself. But if you can say that with your mouth, yeah, Jesus is Lord. I trust him and I love him. Let me tell you, you can only say that because the shepherd has spoken to you and you've heard him. If you can't, you, you, you can't say stuff like that without the shepherd first calling you. So if you believe in Jesus, you believe and you trust him. He has spoken to you. You know his voice. John 5, verses 25 and 26 say this, and this is the message translation. It's urgent that you get this right. The time has arrived, I mean, right now, when dead men and women will hear the voice of the Son of God and in hearing will come alive. Are you alive in Christ tonight? You've heard his voice, you know his voice. That's a great encouragement. That's a great base on which to go, right, okay, I've heard his voice. Awesome. Now, what's he saying? What's he saying about today? What's he saying about tomorrow? So let me give you two challenges. The first challenge is what voices do you need to turn down in order for his voice to be louder in your ears? Man, we've got a lot of voices in our ears. so many streaming services, Netflix, Binge, Disney, Stan, Prime, Paramount. I mean, how many are we going to have in the next 10 years? apart from Channel 7. want anyone know what Channel 7 is anymore? Channel 9, Channel 10, ABC? They're pretty boring. And let's not get started on social media, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you think of those things, they're there and they're voices in our heads and they're voices through which other voices get into our heads and turn us docile people down paths that aren't good for us. We can turn them down. That's in your control. You can unsubscribe, you can delete apps, you can turn it off, you can turn off notifications to turn that stuff down so that the voice of the Good Shepherd is more clear in your head. This is the second challenge. Doing is more important than hearing. Doing is more important than hearing. We live in a time where we can hear pretty well like through that same phone that you just deleted apps on, I hope, or you will later, you can listen to great preaching, you can listen to the Bible, you can read the Bible, you can do a whole lot of good things through your phone. We can hear a lot, but how much are we actually doing? I love this verse in James 1. Uh, Verses 21 and 22, because it picks up these two challenges really well. Verse 21 says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. My, my, My illustration of that is turn the rubbish down so that you can hear the word more clearly. And then he goes on to say in the very next verse, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. You ever wondered how spiritually mature you are? Here's the best measure. How spiritually mature you are is directly proportional to the time it takes you to hear the Word of God and then to do what it says. If that time is long, you are spiritually immature. If that time is short, you are are spiritually mature. Don't get deceived by whoever takes this pulpit and preaches a good sermon. That's not doing. That's, That's giving you the opportunity to hear. This is not a measure of spiritual maturity. The people singing on the worship team, who are lovely, godly people, I'm sure, and I'm not not seeking to burn them, but that's not the measure of spiritual maturity, how well you can do ministry and do church stuff. The best measure of spiritual maturity, and the brand new Christian can do this, hear the Word of God, then go and do it. The best discipleship questions you can ask yourself, that you can ask your friends, that you can ask your family, these are the two best questions. What is Jesus saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? That is the heart of discipleship learning to live the way of Jesus in your context, in your context right now, what you're going to tomorrow. What is Jesus saying? And what are you going to do about it? You have heard your shepherd. You've heard Him. If you trust Him and you love Him, you've heard Him. You know there are loud voices clambering for your attention, wanting to get through that frequency. You can turn them down so that His voice will be clear. When you hear Him, when you hear Him speak, doing what He says is where the rubber hits the road. Start us off getting us to imagine what it would have been like two weeks after the resurrection. Do you know one week after the resurrection, we, we have the privilege of reading in Scripture. Like it says in Scripture, he appeared to many. There are a few, few of those many that are recorded in Scripture. And one of them was the Sunday after the resurrection. So it was like a week ago. A week ago. This is cool. This is exciting stuff. But this is the moment where Jesus appeared to one of his friends. And this, this, this guy uh, had a very unfortunate name and, and for one week of his life, he has to live for the rest of eternity with this moniker in front of his name, Thomas. Does anyone know what it is? Doubting Thomas. Like we, we need to start a campaign to get rid of doubting because it was like one week of his life where he stuffed up and now he's going to be doubting Thomas for all eternity. Like when we get to heaven, oh, you're doubting Thomas. Right, gotcha. He gets an unf- unfair rap. That was very squeaky. But think about, think about Thomas. It's, it's unfair because when, when he saw Jesus die, he thought and he was convinced that the last three years of his life had been a complete rort. It was an absolute joke. It was all for nothing. He walked away from the life he knew to follow this guy who he thought was going to be something special and three years... Three years, let's imagine Thomas is about 25, that's a big chunk of his life. Three. How do I get my life back on track now that I know this bloke was a fraud? Because he died on that cross, I saw him die, I saw him expire and he's been put in a tomb and I don't care, I don't care guys what you're telling me about this stupidity, this foolishness that you saw him alive again, I will not believe in this guy anymore. I've already lost too much. I've got to figure out how to put the pieces of my life from three years ago back together to move on to something, to something good to do with my life now. This guy was a hack. This guy was a fraud. I can't trust him. And I don't care what you're telling me. I will not believe unless I can put my fingers in the holes in his hands and put my hand into the side where I saw that spear go in. Thomas. Thomas, full of fear full of doubt full of disappointment makes this statement that captures his frustration his pain unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side I will not believe, I'm done I'm out and a week later to the day the next Sunday, Jesus appears to him. Jesus appears to him and he invites that examination. Jesus appears and says, hey, Thomas. He doesn't, what he doesn't say is, Thomas, how's it going? Gotcha. He doesn't say, Thomas. What, what, what he says is, Thomas, come and put your finger in my hands and and your hand in my side. And what's remarkable about this story is maybe something you haven't thought about before. Here's what Jesus is saying. Thomas, when you were doubting, when you were disappointed, when your life was full of pain and turmoil, I heard you. I heard you say that you want to put your finger into my hands. So come and do it, Thomas. Come and come and do what you said you wanted to do because I'm your shepherd and not only does the, sh- the sheep know the shepherd's voice but the shepherd hears the sheep. The shepherd hears the cry of the sheep. If you want to do it, come and do it. Thomas doesn't do it. There's no record of Thomas actually getting up and going, well, thank you for this opportunity. I'm going to walk over. I'm going to pull my measuring tape out. Yep, they're about nail size. I'll stick my finger in there. Yep, it's definitely. And the other one, please. Yep, yep. And the side, yep, get my hand. Okay, now I believe. No, he doesn't do any of that. He just says, my Lord and my God. Everything changes for Thomas in that moment because he knows, not that the facts, not the facts of everything, but my shepherd heard my cry. My shepherd heard my cry. And some of you need to know tonight, it's not just that you know the voice of your shepherd, but that your shepherd knows your voice that the shepherd hears your cry. On Good Friday, for those who were here, we wrote out on cards the cry of our heart and we put them in big gold bowls that represented these gold bowls that John sees and it's recorded in Revelation that are full of the prayers of God's people. God hears your cry. Your shepherd hears your cry. How I want to close this tonight is to hopefully give you a moment to hear the voice of your shepherd and then to give you a chance again to remember that your shepherd knows and hears your voice. Yes, we are docile. Yes, we are defenceless. And yes, therefore, we need to be dependent. Let me read, if you would like to close your eyes and bow your heads. I'd love to read to you the I am statements of Jesus, all seven of them. And I want to read them in a way. And my prayer and my hope is that even though I'm speaking, that the voice you hear in your heart, in your soul, in your ears is the voice of your good shepherd, reminding you that he is the only one who you can trust. He's the only one that you can depend on to take you into a pasture that, where you will find contentment that transcends circumstance. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. Hear his voice tonight. I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never go hungry. And if you believe in me, you will never be thirsty. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And if you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness but you will have the light of life. I am the gate, and if you enter through me, you will be saved. You'll come in, and you'll go out, and you will find pasture. The thief, those other voices that need the volume turned down, they only come to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come to give you life to give you abundant life, to give you full life, to give you a life that overflows. I am your good shepherd. I lay down my life for you, my sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will live even though you will die. And if you live by believing in me, actually, you will never die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't come to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, and I will remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. These are the words of your good shepherd to you tonight. Do you hear his voice? wanting to steal or rob you of your own words what I would love to do is read Psalm 23 again and for this to be our cry our response to our good shepherd to my good shepherd may Psalm 23 be my words Oh Lord Jesus you are my shepherd I lack nothing You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside quiet waters. You refresh my soul. You guide me along the right paths for your name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows." Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me give you the gift of a minute, just a minute to listen, to speak, have this moment and Holy Spirit, would you come now Give us an intimate moment of sheep and shepherd. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you have made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us to help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking Get Connected.